As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel and under the hood on everything automotive with high-speed stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the podcast. My name is Ben. I write some videos here at HowStuffWorks. And as always, I'm joined by Scott Benjamin, and I'm the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, today, Ben, we're gonna we're gonna go with another listener suggestion. I love. Oh, okay. Well, people know I love listener oh, suggestions. Yeah. I can't keep saying that every time. <laughs> well, it, we both do. We like. We it like sounds that. insincere, though. But but it is true. Let me let me start by saying I'm a little under the weather. Okay. A little bit sniffly. Uh huh. Little uh, little headachey. Little achy. Mm hmm. So uh, bear with me. But not not hungover. Not hungover. That it's a cold. Let's make a clear distinction. It's mm-hmm. a bit of a cold. Because. Scott's nickname around the office, uh, to tell you guys the truth, is actually Scott Wholesome Benjamin. That's right, yeah. Oh, very good. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'll be here all day. So uh, <laughs> what's the listener the mail? Hey, um, this comes from um, Stefan. And Stefan had an interest in uh, learning about the turbine engines, uh, particularly, particularly the old Chrysler turbine prototypes that, uh, that he has seen or heard about. And um, the, the Chrysler had a turbine program that, that was in the 60s, 70s. Um, we'll get into it, but I, I think it's an excellent suggestion. So, Stefan, this one's for you, and um, I guess we'll yeah. talk about the turbine we'll, cars. We'll tell you, wait, this one's, this one's for you, buddy. Um, now, Scott, before we totally take this away into uh, the new territory, which I, I think everybody's going to be very interested in this one, um, it's important to point out why this is crazy because for a lot of people it doesn't sound that crazy given our last podcast on automobile manufacturers during world war ii Mm -hmm. uh for one of the big companies to be producing turbine engines but here's the plot twist and we should just get out of the way now these are not turbine engines in jets no they're not in planes nope these are in cars these were turbine powered cars that chrysler produced um, and they produced up to, I believe it's seven generations of cars mm-hmm. that were powered by turbines. And they were all for test purposes. Right. right. Uh, because the, the idea was that they, they, had this, they had this project that lasted several decades. And really, it's kind of a spinoff from the World War II effort. 
um, that you know there, there's a different direction we can take with this. It doesn't have to be um, the uh, regular you know, what you call conventional piston engine, right? Um, diesel, whatever. It doesn't uh, gas powered. This this is just an idea that they had to build a what they called a practical turbine powered car, and um, they had a, a small group of people working on this, and they built a very few cars, um, but there's Actually, you know what? I should say this. There's really only a couple that exist now. That, uh, that there are, left there are in only existence. a few left. There are very few left in existence of these orig- of this original group of cars. Now, there's probably I know that there are turbine powered cars out there that people have made these one offs, but this is mm-hmm. a, a major manufacturer making a, an honest effort to build a practical, everyday use turbine powered car that uh, you know you could jump in and go to the grocery store and then take it on a long trip with the family as well it blows me away it's pretty cool stuff really i mean i i think it'd be pretty cool to have a turbine powered car oh gosh yeah are you kidding that would be awesome well i think so far that it would be awesome but to be fair we should ask um we should ask why they came about with this well idea i mean the idea is for the practical engine or practical right. car the 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 thing about it is there's a lot of benefits to this uh this type of power versus a standard engine or conventional or engine or piston yeah piston, piston engine is because uh, well first the number of moving parts is a lot less um there's as few as 60 moving parts in a in a turbine engine versus about 300 in a piston engine of the day and there's probably even more now i like what uh, you're saying i, would have to I guess. like what you're saying um there's also there's also no potential for um, the oil the oil to be contaminated in the way that another uh, in in the way that the conventional engine would be. Mm. So uh, really, oil changes are kind of a thing of the past with these tire, these types of cars. Um, you know, based on service, of course, if you had yeah. to have something serviced, and that's another thing. Um, now we'll get to that in a minute, but um, it didn't really produce a whole lot of horsepower. Um, it had about 130 horsepower. But it did have an instant 425 pound-feet of torque, which is an awful lot of torque. How did that? How does that work? Well, it's an instant torque. It's kind of like I, I would guess it's a it's a similar uh, thought process, uh, not exactly the same way. But you know how we talked about electric motors have instant yeah. torque available, right? That's the same idea with this: is that you you're instantly you've instantly got all that torque available. However, it does take a while for that turbine engine to spool up, and that was an, a drawback in these things. Is that right? I can see that. It takes the time. There's a there's a lag, and that's kind of the same thing with like a turbo lag, where it has to spool up and and, and get ready to go. So zero to sixty time in these cars was something like twelve seconds. Um, that you know, is kind of that's pretty slow, really. Yeah. I mean, when you really consider it, because we're talking about you know sixties, nineteen sixties Chrysler sedans right. that were big. Uh, they were four you know four seaters. They were big, heavy pieces of metal and you got 130 horsepower you got all this torque which is good but it does take the time in order to spool up to get to get that power released and um that, that's kind of what they were battling with and that, that would be so aggravating on city streets with uh stoplights at I, every block well i think it would be yeah because what i mean if it's zero to 60 in 12 seconds I, i'm just saying the the significance of that is not lost on me yeah so yep oh i, I think that a lot of people understood that, that that's definitely a drawback in this yeah um, the other thing is that it did, it had it, well the the um, the maintenance was a lot easier because of the fewer parts and really there's only just one spark plug um, there's no coolant involved in this at all um, so you know it, it another thing is that it it didn't have any the exhaust didn't have any carbon monoxide so there's no unburned carbon or no raw hydrocarbons but it did produce nitrogen oxides so 
the idea was that you know how are we going to get rid of the nitrogen oxides? You know that's that's one downside of it, I guess. Yeah. And eventually they got around that, but um, not before the program was uh, was taken away. Let's go. Uh, let's look a little bit more in detail at the specs of these vehicles. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. You know what, let me shuffle my notes here for a second, but I've got the specs of this thing. And like I said, we talked about the uh, the 130 horsepower and the, the instant torque. Right. And uh, the other thing is that they were all, all the cars that you're probably thinking of, I mean, if you've ever seen these cars, you can do a search mm -hmm. online for this and just search Chrysler Turbine cars, mm -hmm. and you'll see the car that we're talking about here, really, because we're, we're focused mainly on this one era of vehicle, and it's a, right. it's a copper color, bronze colored car, four-door sedan, um, it's really, it's kind of a cool, it's a distinctive looking vehicle. The back end mm. and the front end are unique. Um, this is kind of a crazy exhaust, but maybe we'll get to that in a moment here. Yeah. I'll, I'll but, see, but what, what I like about that photograph or those, uh, the pictures that you can see online, mm -hmm. uh, these don't look like they're crazy concept cars. They do definitely have a different appearance, mm -hmm. but it seems like these are vehicles you could reasonably expect to see on the street. Yeah, exactly. They're not they're not shaped like a jet or anything like right. that. I mean, they're, they're not a jets and car on wheels. They're not outlandish. Now, it, the the thing is that it um, it did sound it had a lot of sound issues with it, and we'll uh, get into the specs in just a minute. Yeah. But from what I hear, I mean, I, I've actually heard one of these running. Have I, I was, you? It, I think I mentioned this maybe before in the uh, Concours show um, when we talked about the Concours. Yes, event. I've seen one of these cars operating. I think it's one of the one of the ones that the museum owns the walter p chrysler museum owns um, i can't confirm that but i'm pretty sure uh, just because of location that'd be the perfect car for that kind of show I, yeah i would think so i mean it's it's it fits right in there with them um apparently the uh, the testers didn't like it because it sounded like a giant vacuum um it had a, it had a lot of noise associated with it and of course they're they're accustomed to the big rumble of the v8 you know at the time right and uh so i think it just caused some problems for people to get adjusted to that um there were a lot of testers. Well, you know what? Let's we're skipping around here, so let me go to the specs. Okay. God, we started that forty-five seconds ago. No, no. Let's speculate. So, <laughs> not speculate. you like that one? I was uh, working kinda, on that because yeah, well. it's it's a pun. So like we talked about. All right. I know. <laughs> I'm <laughs> messing with you. Did I'm I mention sorry. earlier I'm under the weather? But I know. I'm, I know. I'm slow know. on the pickup here. I, you know, I I should I should play nice. Slower than usual, anyways. I, well, like it was a two-stage turbine engine. Um, and we talked about the horsepower is relatively low, 130 horsepower, a um, lot of torque, 425 pound-feet of torque at zero RPM is what it says. I don't know how zero RPM works. You think it would be one RPM? It would. But um, I would. All right. I know. <laughs> there's a lot of efficiency numbers here, um, including temperatures that that range. All, they go all the way up to 1,700 degrees wow. um, for the inlet temperature, which is you know where the the actual combustion's happening. Um, and the exhaust temperature, so what's exiting the exhaust pipes, um, that is right around 500 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're talking about an intense exhaust heat. Oh, wow. Um, that's like pizza oven hot. Yeah, you can't stand behind that car. I love pizza, now that we're talking about oh, it. I haven't man. had lunch. But yeah, so we should get some pizza later. 500 degrees Fahrenheit is mm -hmm. the, the exhaust temperature, and they've actually they tried to combat that, I guess, with um, stainless steel exhaust that was real wide and narrow. And the idea was that it would cool, you know, some of that surface would help cool it as it exits so that it didn't actually, because it could, had the potential to damage the vehicle that was following closely behind. Yeah, I can um, see that. That type of heat. So, and it, you know, plus you got the pedestrians walking behind it and traffic situation, you know. Yeah, who knows? parking lots or whatever. Very dangerous. So, um, I don't know, I thought that was interesting that, you know, that. That's a huge There's drawback. a lot of other, you know, specs you can go into here, but, you know, just reading this list wouldn't be very exciting. So, um, <laughs> let's move on. 
Um, the cool thing about it was that this would also burn a lot of different types of fuel. Um, as long as it was combustible material, it, it would operate. And you didn't have to make any adjustments at all in between them. It would burn gasoline. It would burn um, tequila was one thing that they listed. Any kind of alcohol. You could burn perfume in there. Um, wow. Anything that, would, anything that you, could, you could burn, any liquid that you could burn, would operate this vehicle. So um, that was another benefit is that you know, it was able to uh, have this, I guess, multi-fuel capability that without is any switchovers. So you didn't have to change anything. That, that is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. I'm just now, I'm thinking of all the household chemicals mm -hmm. that you could use to run that thing if you're in a jam. Yep, it would work. It would Man. work. And that would uh, be able to get you out of bad situations, I guess, if you ever... I don't know why you would be in a bad situation in a turbine car, but not like a military the story vehicle. story of my life, man. Bad situations in turbine cars? Because, you know, we've talked about military vehicles that burn um, a lot of different types of fuels. Right. And, and the purpose was that, you know, you get caught somewhere that you shouldn't be, um, you know, or, or something happens all around you that shouldn't be happening. You need to get out. Um, the, the, the ability to burn other types of fluids to get out of there is is important, vital, key. So, um, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with it, but... Yeah, I guess that's a good point, especially given the origin of where the this technology is coming from. Mm -hmm. But to me, that seems like such a tremendous advantage. You know, uh, in this era, right, this is before big fuel shortages of the 70s. Mm -hmm. This is before the big price spike um, in earlier in this decade. And so it's very interesting to think about how somebody would have handled this technology today. You know what? I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, that that problem or that issue, the uh, the fuel issue, because I got a I got a, uh, a note here, and this is from you know I'm still shuffling, but uh, I think I find it entertaining. Talk amongst yourselves, Ben. Sure, I'll go ahead and talk amongst <laughs> myself. Okay, well here we go. Oh I got man, right I had this. Great well, go ahead. No, no, no. The moment right. has passed. So this is from Allpar. You know, I've okay. gone to Allpar before for information on yes. Chrysler vehicles and. I found this really interesting because it, the the Chrysler turbine history extends all the way until the late 70s, right up until 1979. And that's when Chrysler, as you know, was in a bad financial position, right. required a government bailout at the time, which they paid back um, So it, in the 80s, I believe. Um, Chrysler, was, they, had a, they had another turbine car ready to go. They had a LeBaron, I believe it was a LeBaron body um, Chrysler turbine car. And it's like a turbine it, engine and system in a LeBaron. In a LeBaron, it's a it has a little bit of a unique body to it. It's a it's a single car, single vehicle that was ready to go. Like they had the tooling ready for this and everything. Um, but again, that was in 1979, and with this Chrysler defense or with the um, with the the government loan, one of the conditions was that they had to sell off Chrysler Defense, and uh, so you know from the war effort, they had they yeah. Chrysler Defense, which was building. M1 uh, M1 turbine powered tanks. So this, this whole program was really? going. So they had all this turb this turbine program going. Kind of made a nice dovetail fit in mm -hmm. with this this turbine program they're trying to um, execute on vehicles. So they had this this LeBaron ready to go. But since they had to sell off that defense program, which you know incorporated their turbine program, yeah. that kind of killed that whole thing. And there was oh, wow. another group of people, a group of about seventy people, it says at Chrysler. Um, in Highland Park, known as the Skunk Works team, and they were uh, they were developing, you know, some some of these vehicles that we're talking about, and I guess at the time they were just days away from making this production decision that Iacocca would have made. I guess you know, mm -hmm. 
potentially, um, to say that, yeah, we're going to build this vehicle. And so it was just days away from being, you know, given the, uh, the thumbs up or the green light, and uh, it was kind of taken away. And let's clarify, you know, everybody should be very clear on this. Scott and I are not saying that the government came in purposely, uh, you know, to shut down the turbine no, program. Just they just needed the defense subsidiary sold off. It was a it was a condition of the loan right. that they got rid of that in order to you know, to pay what they needed to mm-hmm. at the time or to you know and uh, of course there are conspiracy theories about course, that that, you yeah. know, that that say they killed this program because you know they didn't want it to go forward because it was just so it's such a viable program um, because they did have it was a 1981 Chrysler New Yorker which was apparently ready to go. Um, I thought they had a LeBaron too, but that might have mm-hmm. been earlier than that. But um, the the one that was ready to go was an 81 Chrysler New Yorker. And, um, again, they just got pulled out from underneath them. So as far as Allpower knows or whoever wrote this article, um, it was stored away with the original Chrysler turbine cars and the tooling and everything to make the cars. Man. Um, so it's either somewhere now kind of hidden away mm-hmm. or, you know, it's just come out of one of those mysteries, I guess. Where is that car? I got to tell you, I know exactly where it is. Remember Indiana Jones at the end? Of uh, Raiders of the Lost, yes, I do. Park. Yeah, the big warehouse. Right? Yes, it, top men are looking at it, Scott. <laughs> Probably top men. Well, there's there's actually a few of these things still in existence. Now, um, there were over a million miles logged on these cars, wow. um, the test vehicles, because it was a test program. They wanted feedback. Different so climates, had, um, different driving conditions. Exactly, and uh, just kind of pulling from different sources here, there were fifty, a total of fifty five cars made. 55 turbine cars made for this test program. They That's were, not very many. And they were loaned to 203 different drivers in 133 cities in 48 states. So they had you know, good representation of terrain, um, you know, just weather conditions, a lot of different types of drivers, um, Just and, and everybody traded, I believe it was every three months. Yeah, every three months per driver. So you, you, were, you traded your vehicle away, and then you gave an evaluation of what you felt of the vehicle. So they were trying to get this... Uh, this tremendous amount of feedback on these cars like i said over a million miles logged on them now of those 55 vehicles produced uh there was a rumor that they were the rest of them were crushed uh because of some type of tariff that was going to be levied on the vehicles that's not the case this is just a uh, i guess the truth is that uh most of the vehicles were crushed or the ones that were crushed which is 46 of the original 55 46 of them were destroyed, and the reason was because uh, they were prototype vehicles, they were test vehicles. Those aren't let out to the public, just as you wouldn't uh, allow a crash test vehicle to be sold to the public. Right. Um, The same idea is that, you know, these were just test vehicles. Um, We can't sell them to anybody afterwards as used vehicles. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not going forward with the program, so we're keeping them. And that makes sense because you're yeah. thinking, you know, there could be liability for something that doesn't work. Yeah. Or another company could leapfrog on the technology. Yeah, exactly. And again, here comes the conspiracy theory because um, this is the same thing that GM did with EV1. Okay, okay. I just want to say I feel like that is completely different. Okay. That's noted. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for the note. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that right now. Maybe Not later. Maybe, maybe later. later. But um, so. According to, uh, I looked up this up in the Detroit News, mm-hmm. so uh, Neil Rubin, and this is of, in August of this year, so this okay. is relatively current, um, said that none of those vehicles were sold to the public. The remaining, there were nine remaining vehicles, so none of them went to the public, um, but nine do survive. They, the rest were destroyed, 46. One of them went to um, an independent collector. 
and five of them went to various museums. Three of the cars, so this is the nine, you know, the, the yeah. end of the nine. Three of the cars were retained by Chrysler Corporation just for historical purposes, and those three were the only remaining drivable vehicles. Now, I I've also heard that the Indiana Collector has a working vehicle as well, but the other five that are in museums are non-working. They were uh, dismantled or mm-hmm. or um, somehow disabled by the, the corporation and then given to the museum. Um, but the three that were owned by Chrysler Corporation. Guess who now owns one of those? Someone bought one recently. Take is a while, it? Guys. Oh gosh, is it Jay Leno? It is Jay Leno. Very oh, good, man. Very good. You know your uh, your collectors because I just know the one. Yep he uh, he bought one of the three turbine cars that the museum owns. So now the, the museum owns two working turbine cars. Jay Leno owns one. Wow. And uh, so this very exclusive club. You yeah. Know, the people that own these vehicles. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's about it, really, because that's where it stands right now. Is that these are just left as museum pieces, mm-hmm. and as far as I know, the turbine program isn't going anywhere else um, because of you know just some of the the difficulties that they've had. But there are a lot of good reasons to have them. There are a lot of good reasons not to have them. Five hundred degrees Fahrenheit is a very very high temperature. Yeah, I can see I could see ways they could cool that exhaust. I don't think that's such a big problem. Well, if the weight was different, if there was some sort of lightweight pizza oven that they could sell as an attachment. Mm. Keep have, you just have just to keep bringing dr- up pizza. You drive for a while, you get out and you have pizza. Fantastic. It's just like the uh, engine block omelets or whatever that people are making. You know what? That actually works. I bet it does. Story for a different time. <laughs> different time. Well, do you, do you want to hear some listener mail? I would love to hear listener mail. All right. Here we go, Scott. Uh, Steven writes in, and he says, Hey, Scott and Ben. That would be you and I. Um, he says, uh, loves the podcast. That's nice to hear. And he was listening to how roller coasters work, and he wanted us to know the world's steepest roller coaster is now Mumbo Jumbo, and it's in a theme park in England called Flamingo Land. It, it's got a drop that's at 112 degrees. Hmm. And it was built this year. It Boy. opened on July 4th. 112 degrees, Scott. 112 Sky. degrees. I'm trying to think back of what we said the, uh, the previous record was. Uh, it, it was w- just above 90, wasn't it? Like right. 95? Right. It 95 was degrees. just above 90. So. 112 degrees. Mm-hmm. And he says that uh, he's, he's got some images attached to the, to the email as well. And he says that uh, the ride isn't exactly an engineering feat. He feels it is simply an attempt to uh, have the world record. Ah, I see. And so I... What's, I just, what's the name of that one more time? What was Mumbo it? Jumbo. Mumbo Jumbo, just in case everybody wants to take a look yeah, at it as Mumbo well. Mumbo Jumbo in Flamingoland, which to me seems sort of a weird name for a place in England. Yeah, it kind of does, you know, doesn't it? You know what? Uh, England and the United Kingdom are known for many wonderful things, but I did not know flamingos I didn't were think on so. that list. No, I didn't, didn't really think that either. But thanks for thanks for writing in, Steve. And uh, to Stefan, we hope that we gave you a little bit to uh, mull over here with turbine cars. Um, you know, if you really want to drive one, maybe give Jay a call. Maybe give uh, Chrysler a call because it sounds like they may be uh, the few people who, who could let you borrow this wonderful, interesting car. Um, and to our listeners there, uh, anybody else, if you feel like writing in to us uh, with a suggestion for a topic, we would love to hear from you. And that email, of course, as always, is highspeedstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the High Speed Stuff blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage.
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart. And I'm very forgiving, but like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one.